hello, and this is Jacob, and welcome to No Small Talk, week two of the Rock Candy podcast from the Arkansas Times. So we didn't officially have the name last week, so we didn't say it when we recorded, but now we have our name. It's No Small Talk. It's based off the Carrie Foe song. So Stephanie, since we're talking about Arkansas music, let's start off with what the Times is doing this week. We always start off the episodes with a little bit about what's going on in central Arkansas, specifically that the Times is putting on. So let's talk a little bit about the Central Arkansas Music Awards, CAMA, and what's happening with that. Sure. So 7 p.m. Tuesday, January 23rd at Ron Robinson Theater, uh, the Arkansas Times is presenting the first ever Central Arkansas Music Awards in partnership with Arkansas Sounds, which is a project of the Butler Center for Arkansas Studies, which is itself a division of the Central Arkansas Library System. And we have killer lineup, Daz and Bree, uh, Brethren, who are the longtime bandmates of C. Del Davis, Princeus, Uniwa, Adam Fawcett, the Brian Nolan Band. We're super excited about it. And you can find out more details about Camel on page 24 of the Arkansas Times this week. Pick it on up. Yeah, so last week we started off the Rock Candy Podcast, and I think we had this idea that it would be called the Rock Candy Podcast. We were quickly told that this was lame and that we needed to come up with a much better name. So we came up with No Small Talk. And um, Carrie Fo, she lives in California now, right? She's back and forth, maybe. Back and forth? California and, and Little Rock. But from Little Rock, a rapper, a sort of really um, ingenious, uh, got her own, like, her, really her own cadence to yeah. her speech. If you don't know who that is and you've never heard the name Carrie Foe before, a good introduction would be to check out uh, Insecure, the show featuring Issa Rae, and uh, Carrie Foe's music figures pretty prominently on that show. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people realize that Central Arkansas has this <laughs> weird train of people that are getting started here as rappers and then moving out. And it's very, with this very specific sort of sound, uh, I would say that's not traditionally known as an Arkansas sound. And then moving out to California, kind of coming back and forth between Little Rock. Uh, you know, there's like a, a strong contingent of people at this point that I think are moving back and forth kind of in that scene. It's, For sure. Arkansas yeah. has made L.A. infinitely cooler in yeah. the last year. <laughs> that's what everyone's talking about is how it's like, oh, my gosh, we need to go to Little Rock to Gude figure out. Garçon, yeah, Solo Jackson, exactly. uh, Young Gods of America, Carrie Foe, Black, Black Party. Party. Yeah. So it's all happening in L.A.'s stealing all of our incredible people, but they're coming back and they're, they're representing Little Rock properly. So check out Kama, check out um, Carrie Foe, and uh, check out all this great music that's being represented here, and pick up the Arkansas Times to learn more about Kama. I'll really quickly say last week we talked about Rafifi, and Rafifi screened on Tuesday right after this podcast dropped, our week one podcast, and I think it went really well. And listening last week to the podcast... I was talking about the high scene and all these other things. And then I went and saw Rafifi and I was like, oh, we should have talked entirely about toxic masculinity. You were 100% right, Stephanie. It was like 100% about toxic masculinity. And How many ways can I say I told you so? Except I didn't make it and I was therefore not there to talk toxic masculinity. And so I'm so curious how that went down. Yeah, there was no gloating afterwards from Stephanie, but she was 100% right. It was beautiful. And it was, honestly, I wasn't expecting it to, whenever you see an older film, you're like, it's going to be pretty, but I'm going to have to like work for it to be pretty. But it was just beautiful, and it was, like, really fun and rapid. I, I thought it was great. So the heist movie stuff continues, and that'll happen. Is ne the next one Point Break, right, Amaya? Right. Uh, so next month we're showing Point Break um, at Rodale 10. It'll be the third Tuesday. Um, yeah. And so, it, yeah, it's not Catherine Bigelow's first film, but I think it's her, her first big film. 
one after Near Dark, which was, I, was that's Catherine Bigelow's Point yeah. Break. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna yeah. embarrass myself and say I've never seen Point Break. It is like one oh, of the true. For a treat. <laughs> yeah, and so I saw it was on the list, and so I'm just gonna wait for that. So heist movie stuff is continuing, but this week we're actually gonna talk about uh, the Post, which is just easy for us because we thought you know it's a newspaper movie. We've Amaya and I have been having a Steven Spielberg debate before the Post even came out, so we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna be back with David Kuhn, one of our staff writers, and we're gonna talk about the Post. All right, welcome back. Let's uh, let's just dig into it. So we're going to talk about The Post this week, which is the new Steven Spielberg film. It focuses on the leaking and then publication of the Pentagon Papers. Um, I will say, me, Jacob Rosenberg, I saw The Post last night, and I desperately wanted to like it, and I did not enjoy it very much. I didn't like The Post very much. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a, that's a problem I have internally, and I'll explain, and I'll, you know... I'm penitent, penitential. What is what is the exact word? Penitent. For penitent. penitent. I'm penitent for my sins. Um, but I'll I'll let David Kuhn explain kind of why what's great about the post. You know, I, this is David Kuhn. I I enjoyed it much more than Jacob. I I thought it was, and and I don't believe that my enjoyment of it was just kind of a nostalgia for a newspaper world that's gone. Which yeah. A lot of people seem to be like, which is the reason a lot of people seem to like it. Um, it's Steven Spielberg and Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. You know, yeah. how can you go wrong with that combination? I think that uh, I think all those folks are are, are, are pretty uh, are pretty well uh, trod in, in in making great movies. And I think too that it's just a movie for the Trump era. You yeah, know, Trump is like this ghost that hovers around everywhere in the post. Um, even though he's never mentioned in the movie. I mean, you get the feeling that Meryl Streep probably took the role just so she could win an Oscar for it and tell him to go to hell from the director <laughs> yeah. with the Oscar in her hand. You yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as I, I get what you're saying about it didn't just blow me away. It wasn't a movie that I'm going to just just watch every time it comes on, on TBS uh, but it is a very powerful story about the power of truth. Yeah. You know, about the power of, of real news, about the, the sacrifices that people go through in order to get the news, which I think we've kind of lost our faith in a little bit. We've, we kind of look at the news as something that falls out of the air and winds up on BuzzFeed or something at this point, and when it's actually people going out with their notebooks and collecting this stuff. Um, to Bob Odenkirk and it just blew me away. I mean, it was the, it was the you know birth of a great new character actor. I don't think he's ever going to be able to carry a movie off that just as a just as somebody who's who's going to be a real light in many movies for years to come. I think he's he's the guy. He was great in that. And I think your review kind of hits on this, and I read this in other reviews too, which is the acting is great in this film. And part of the reason that acting is great is because, like, it's got that classic Steven Spielberg thing of, like, right on the line between hammy and, like, hammy up is up here, and then, like, great acting's right here. And it's right, you know, it's yeah. so close to going yeah. into hammy, yeah. but it's still, it's still great acting. And Odenkirk rides that line the best. And for me, 
Tom Hanks went straight into Hammy at times. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. His his Ben Bradley is almost like a it's almost like a caricature instead of a character. You know, um, he he really puts on that voice. Really tried to pick up oh, the yeah. manager, mannerisms of Ben Bradley. He leans into the voice when he like when he tells like an intern like go figure it out, yeah. and you're like this yeah. intern has no idea what he's doing. Like, I, will, I will tell you though, after 15 years of, of listening to Max Brantley across the newsroom, I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I often found myself. So I thought that maybe we could take it to a more abstract place. If you haven't seen the post, I think it's worth seeing. It's going to get Oscar buzz. It's an interesting movie. Um, and I think Odenkirk is probably going to get a nomination. Really? I really do. I yeah. think he's that good. In it. Wow. He, for me, I haven't seen the post yet, but to me, Bob Odenkirk is one of those actors where if he's in a movie, that's a litmus test for me. I guess it's just my old fandom of the Mr. Show with Bob and David. Just yeah, and they're in it together. They're both in it. Yeah, yeah they're both in it together. Yeah. I mean, David Cross doesn't give, let's say, a stellar performance, yeah. but it is there. incredibly yeah. passable, yeah. To and it's very good, and it's cool to see, like, Bob and David together it out of the really Mr. Cool. Show thing, and they're pretty funny. I, I think that the specifics of this movie are interesting. It, it's a worthy movie to get... I, I would consider it a solid B movie, somewhere in that... Not B movie as in like a genre E B movie, but like a solid I would give it a B on a test kind of movie. I'm a B plus. B plus, yeah. yeah. And so I think that one of the more interesting questions is why like what is this movie trying to say about news media? And I think that to some extent it is a valorization of news media. And to some extent it's it's a condemnation of news media. Uh both current and in the past. And I'm kind of interested coming out of it you said you were like excited to come to work the next day and be a reporter right like a little bit right a little i mean you know this is what newspaper movies do for newspaper reporters and probably why this the post is getting such stellar reviews because there's a lot of look the the enthusiasm gap in journalism is for real at this point even for the people who still got a job Mm -hmm. and uh and just going into a situation like that, watching newspaper reporters literally change the world for newspaper people is is a big deal, and it can really fill that kind of enthusiasm tank. And and I, you know, coming into work the next day, it felt like, hey, I, I work for a place that maybe does something. Yeah, and I would say that where the parts of I didn't like about this movie were also what gave me what made me like this movie, which is that it's not to me extremely black it's not extremely gray it's pretty black and white there's good and there's bad and steven spielberg believes in this little thing called goodness and you know who the other people are they're the bad people and even so, the new york times yeah. is played off it's kind of like the evil empire a little bit yeah so they're the you know the post is the plucky you know the plucky upstarts who are trying to play catch up yeah and the new york times isn't portrayed as bad they're the closest thing you have to a gray actor in this yeah. but it's definitely like <laughs> There's good and there's bad. And Steven Spielberg, it's shot a little bit like Steven, it's shot a lot like Steven Spielberg. So there's like, it looks a little bit like Jurassic Park. And that's weird when it's like Catherine Graham deciding whether or not to publish the Pentagon Papers. It, like, it gives it a weird aura. But I will, the thing that I, that sort of, that made me realize is to some extent, this is a movie about the transition between old media, which was schmoozing, with the people in power and you publish what they want you to publish that's this is this dichotomy that they set up old media does that new media is plucky and we're fighting against the man and and stuff like that sort of the the thing it perhaps doesn't address is the weird point that we're in right now with trump media which is you can both be like attacking those in power in interesting ways 
but also it can be like pretty repetitive and boring and stuff like that too you know not every day you're publishing the pentagon papers on the front page yeah because the movie is a whole lot about the post going to a public offering and Mm -hmm. how fragile that was at the same moment that they're talking about publishing the pentagon papers and defying a federal judge and how that might upset that apple cart um it's also a movie about money and journalism money and journalism have always had this kind of uneasy relationship there's always in in news organizations been this wall between money and journalism and in this movie part of what makes it drama and part of what makes it thrilling is watching watching uh ben bradley try to forced to breach that wall in some ways, forced to peek over that wall and say, hey, the, the truth is more important than the, than the dollar or even the fact that the Washington Post might go under, go under over all this. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll say you'll come away with this idea that the truth is good and, and journalists should go after the truth. And that's a very, you know, that's a, I would love for that to be such an easy truth to hold on to. But it's also like a truth that I think if you're a reporter, you come out with this feeling like, oh, that's, Great, I have a lot of motivation. And then once you get into the murky, more Janet Malcolm, uh, I would really suggest reading The Journalist and the Murderer, which begins with the strongest condemnation of reporting I've ever heard, which is basically the fact that all reporting is corrupt in some way. That's how she begins her essay. When you come when you come into the murky nature of actually doing reporting after that, it's not as simple as Steven Spielberg makes it out. And so that's why I, I wouldn't put it in the class of best journalist movies. Like, All the President's Men, is better because it's murky, it's uncomfortable, and you don't come away, I feel like, with... You come away with the valorization, but also with a lot of, a lot of you know, worries and scruples about it. So that that's sort of where I'd put the post on that. I think a, a secondary question sort of is, and we talked about this, is the nostalgia element. To what extent is the nostalgia for the 1970s Washington Post in the 1970s in general, interesting right now. And we both loved, I think my favorite scene like yours was them typesetting the paper or the linograph. Yeah, and maybe just describe what that scene is like. I don't think it's a spoiler. At the the very end of the movie, whenever they're setting the first page where they're going to print the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, spoiler alert, they print the Pentagon Papers, it happens. (laughs) Go read a history book, kids. Um, At the end of the movie, there's a scene where they are in a room and there are two guys sitting in front of these kind of ancient Victorian cast iron linotype machines which literally cast the type backwards in lead so that it can print it on their printing presses. And, you know, that's kind of Steven Spielberg putting a point, I think, on this is the old, this is how it used to be done, this is the way, journal. this is back when journalism had a role in America, this is back when newspapers were powerful and when the act of printing was powerful. Um, so, you know, um, that scene for me, I've, I've talked to a lot of old heads around the office about the linotype machines at the Democrat, at the Gazette and the Democrat since I saw that movie, and it's, it was, it's fascinating, it's both fascinating and tragic to see these guys in that film setting linotype. I mean, Max Brantley talked about, he talked to a, somebody who worked in newspapers years and years ago who said he saw the movie and almost cried when he saw the linotype machines because it took him back to yeah. what newspapers used to be. They were telling us about down at one of those papers, you know, it was a great job because it's so loud, these machines that set the linotype, they would train a lot of deaf folks to, to do it. It was a great job um, for them. And that everyone who was in charge of the linotype would have to learn um, sign language in order to communicate. And it was like this whole crew of, I mean, it's just interesting stuff like that you, you hear about less often. And so I think the nostalgia trip element of it 
yeah. is worth it. I mean, and also, it's a weird nostalgia trip because it's a nostalgia trip for the 80s because it's Spielberg. Yeah. So it looks like Spielberg-y. Yeah. And then it's also a nostalgia trip for, like, news. Something that stood out to me, I'll just sort of wrap it up, is also the headlines. Yeah. Like, the headlines, you see them print the headlines for the Pentagon paper, and it's like these... Like, you're like, I guess that's what they, you know, they were able to uh, put some subtlety in their headlines. Like, it doesn't look like breaking news. It's like U.S. like kind of lied about war or something like that in 54. And you're like, cool, that just looks like a normal headline to anyone now. Like, that would not pass for breaking news headline nowadays at all. I saw a journalist on uh, on Twitter uh, a few days ago. It may have been David Simon who created The Wire, who tweeted that, you know, one of the one of the most striking things about him was in the scene where they're running the press, he said as those papers are scrolling by, they're covered in ads. Mm-hmm. You know, which the lack of advertising these days is the reason that newspapers are going under. So, you know, that movie is... Uh, it, it's almost like a commercial for journalism. Yeah. You know, to say, value journalism, pay for journalism. Yeah. Uh, spend money on journalism. It costs money to make to make information flow. Yeah, I think we'll end it there because I think that was, a commercial for journalism is a great way to describe it because it's got some parts that make you cheer and if you're yeah. a fan of journalists, you're like, yeah. heck yeah, commercial for journalism. Yeah. A commercial for journalism. Yeah. And also if you knew some of the murky underbelly right. journalism, you're like, oh, yeah. a commercial for I'm journalism. <laughs> Any young person who's listening to this, don't believe the commercial and go into journalism. Yeah. It's a terrible time to be a journalist. Of course. So it's a terrible time to ju- be a journalist. That was a great time. Thanks for coming in yeah. to discuss yeah. the post. No problem, thanks. Yeah, of course. And we're going to take a quick break and then do some recommendations, tell you the move for the weekend. All right, welcome back. We're going to finish up, give you some recommendations of things maybe to do around Arkansas, things that you should check out, any random thing that we're recommending. I am going to, after our great discussion about The Post, recommend that you go watch my favorite movie of all time, All the President's Men, um, and also check out more by, I can never pronounce his last name right, Alan J. Pokola? Pokola? I've only read this what but he's the director of all the president's men and he made quite a few films during this time period during the 70s that all have a similar feel to all the president's men and i think they play a little bit better they play or they're playing even better now they're just really great um and the other post related uh recommendation i'll give is go read up more on Catherine graham she's really interesting something that david and i didn't get into in discussing the post is one of the major themes in the post is uh, feminism and um, the arrival of a female publisher. Sometimes this is a little bit hammer over the head hit into you. There are a few scenes which are subtle and very interesting with uh, how they portray Catherine Graham as ascendant in feminism. There's some scenes which I would describe as um, gratifying and they make you feel good if you believe in feminism, but also a little bit not subtle, less more like just bashing you over the head with sort of this this theme and it's hard to say whether that's good or bad but Catherine graham as a feminist figure is an interesting feminist figure because it's just someone you should read up more on and especially read up about her during the strike there's a washington post strike that's also worth uh reading up about and i just think that getting more into that and, and reading sort of about how the washington post was led by this female uh, publisher during this time it's just totally worthwhile um, I'll throw it to Stephanie, who is going to have some other stuff to recommend, and then our one move for the weekend, which is the one thing you should definitely do this weekend. 
Sure. So I'm going to recommend the newest book by a poet, Beth Ann Fennelly. It's called Heating and Cooling. I came across this book because I'm moderating, moderating a Q&A with Beth Ann um, Thursday, January 25th at the Joint Theater and Coffee House as part of the Potluck and Poison Ivy storytelling series. Initially, I thought, how in the world am I going to have time to uh, read a book? And I picked up the book. And what happened was that I was enjoying it so much that I started to ration out the chapters to myself because they were so easily devoured. Uh, I think you'll find them to be the same. It's just a collection of like mini stories. Some of them are a sentence long. Some of them are a couple of pages long. All uh, just a really holistic view of, of this person's life. Wow. The one that stuck with me the most uh, that stands out it is called, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's what I think about when someone uses the word pussy to mean weak. And what follows is a page, about a page, that is the most amazing and beautiful and also terrifying description of childbirth that I've ever come across. Um, The book is alternatively very self-deprecating. For example, I'll read one of the poems called Why I'm Switching Salons. Quote, We can put on a top coat with glitter, said the manicurist. We all know how you feel about attention. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) There's some really, truly little romantic bits about... Um, the dynamic between Bethann and her husband, who's also a writer. I would just encourage you to check it out. Um, Heating and Cooling, 52 Micro Memoirs by Bethann Finnelly. And when is when are you interviewing Bethann again? Thursday, January 25th at the Joint Theater and Coffee House. And it's part of the Potluck and Poison Ivy series. I hope you can hear me writing that down and you do as well. Uh, she's Poet Laureate of Mississippi. I believe so. Right? Lives in Oxford. Live in Oxford, yeah. Turns That's... out those poets. I'm really excited to read the, the childbirth one. That sounds intense and, and great. Amazing. I'm, I'm pretty sure I will never get over that poem. That's awesome. That's such a good feeling. Um, and then the move for the weekend. What's the one thing that people should do this weekend? I have one word for that, and it is pallbearer. Uh, <laughs> one of the heaviest and alternatively like mystifying in their moments when they're not heavy at all uh, groups to come out of Arkansas is called Paul Bearer. They put out an album last March called Heartless, which is incredibly complex. Uh, anybody who has ever tried to learn an instrument who, who was in like high school marching band will listen to that album and maybe understand like, oh my God, uh, it's the rhythm combinations are so complicated and the layers of guitars the melodies that they play just they take they can go across six minutes before they really truly unfold Uh, they spent most of the last year touring europe and scandinavia and australia in support of it and they're coming back home to their hometown of little rock and they'll be at the rev room friday night with smokum fellow uh doom rockers totally awesome and adam (laughs) fossett opens up the show should start says 8 p.m um, all right, so the move for the weekend is Paul Bear. You should check out Beth Ann Finnelly and uh, definitely go and check out um, our own Stephanie Smittle interviewing Beth Ann Finnelly. Check out the post, read some more about Catherine Graham, um, and have a good weekend. Amaya, any recommendations that you got for the weekend? Uh, if you can make it out to the movies, I would recommend going to see Call Me By Your Name and um, Phantom Thread. 
there are two smaller movies that are coming out this weekend. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's harder to get those movies here. Not as hard as it used to be, but when they come, it's worth checking them out. Yeah. I would say that both look great. Call Me By Your Name, just to give you a little preview, is um, is about a, a young love, or I guess young and old love between two men. Um, in what country is it? It's, it looks European. <laughs> I think they're in Italy or Spain or... Yeah. yeah. Somewhere where someone from Europe would say the word vacation is wherever this movie is set. And then Phantom Thread is the very intense movie by Paul Thomas Anderson um, that looks great. It's about a British clothes designer, I believe, right? So go check both those things out and um, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye.